Welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast. Hello to you all and welcome to the Sports Pro Podcast live at the end of day one of Sports Pro APAC. My name is Amin Connolly. I'm the editor-at-large at Sports Pro. Hope you've really enjoyed this first day of content uh, and you've picked up a lot of lessons about the region, a lot of lessons about the evolution of the sports industry after the extraordinary events of the last 15 to 18 months or so. Um, we're going to be picking over some of those lessons in the next half an hour. Uh, delighted to be joined by Jana Jauhar, Director for APEC at Mailman Group. Hi, Jana. Hello. Hi. Good good morning, <laughs> since you guys are actually in the UK. So good yeah, morning. Just about, just about morning here. Good evening to you there. Um, and yeah. also very pleased to welcome Ed Dixon, Sports Pro staff writer. Hi, Ed. Hi, Owen. Good to see you. Um, we're going to dive straight into the session program. I'm looking forward to hearing what Jana and Ed have picked out as uh, some of their highlights from the day as we go. But we're going to dive straight into the, uh, the top of the program. And we had Sanjal Gupta from Star India headlining for us, talking about the uh, unique conditions in, uh, in that particular market and, uh, and, and the ambitions for Star, obviously part of the fast expanding Disney digital project. Uh, let's hear from Sanjok. When, when we acquired IPL in 2018, uh, the challenge that was posed to us or was ahead of us was how do you grow a property that is already India's biggest media and sports property? And what we said was instead of treating this property as one property, can we actually break down this property to be different things for different people depending on what their needs are and can we cater to fans in the most personalized way possible despite the limitations of broadcast and that took us down the journey of firstly understanding our fans a lot better and their consumption patterns and what they love about the game or what they don't like about the game so and you know there was a lot of work done to identify consumer segments and fan segments that were underserved and then to really shape a product which catered to different fan segments differently. And that really has been the crux of our IPL strategy, uh, which has seen viewership amongst women and kids grow significantly because in 2019, we decided to launch uh, a parallel feed, which was called Super Fun Day. Uh, this feed was produced every Sunday with an objective of bringing in young fans and their mothers who weren't deeply connected with IPL. They were following IPL, but they weren't deeply connecting with it or engaged with it. And this feed was a very different version of the IPL that was being presented than the world feed, which caters to all fans or select dugout, which actually caters to hardcore cricket viewers. So, so think of three different fan segments. One uh, segment, which is not deeply connected with the sport, but watches it because it's an event that everyone's talking about. And we said, this segment is typically young kids who need to be converted to becoming fans of the IPL and their moms, because typically in Indian households, there's a lot of co-viewing. There is the fan who watches IPL for the love of IPL. And then there is a fan who watches IPL or was not watching enough of IPL at that time because he or she 
believed that IPL was the same phase of the game that India cricket did. And for them, we launched Select Dugout, which was basically a proposition which was as much a, a means to engage them more deeply as to delight them with the kind, kind of coverage and to really position the IPL to be as much serious cricket and as much competitive cricket and as much the best that cricket has to offer as any other event that happens on the cricket calendar. And that, as I said, is the DNA of our strategy for growing IPL uh, and, and growing it significantly over the last three years. You're listening to the Sports Pro Podcast. Okay, so Sanjog reflecting there on something that's very particular to the Indian market, which is cricket and the Indian Premier League. And then, Jana, I think something that uh, is probably quite consistent uh, as a challenge for organizations, not just across the APAC region, but across the world right now, which is how you address different audiences in the digital era and uh, how you really maximize engagement through personalization and customization of content. Yeah, to be very honest, um, I think the pandemic has hit all of us hard, especially here in Southeast Asia, where it seems like an endless lockdown um, for most of the markets, especially like Indonesia, India, especially, which were so very badly affected. Um, a lot of local uh, localization and personalization content were created just purely for each market so that, you know, to kind of make them feel a lot more connected and a lot closer to you know, the clubs that they're supporting and the content that they have been, uh, you know, that, that, we, that we're providing for them. So, yeah, so such would actually bring these fans a lot closer and the audience will feel like, you know, like as if someone from the other side of the world are actually, you know, actually understand the, the, the state that they're in. Because I think like, you know, in the UK, uh, COVID isn't as bad as how it is right now in Southeast Asia where some, some of the other countries are still on lockdown. So when they, whenever they see, you know, such localization and personalization, they actually feel a lot more resonated and they feel like, you know, someone out there is actually, you know, a, a, a lot giving them the extra, extra attention and, and that's where the connection is, is, is built. So, yes. Yeah, I think that's an important point. Ed, did you have any, any further reflections on that? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got to confess, I didn't see, I wasn't able to see all of the session, unfortunately, but I think the, the bits I did catch, you sort of, I mean, it sounds like a, it's, it's a very obvious point, but when you hear from, from someone like that, you do get a, a much better idea of not of the, the size and, and scope and, and how different a market like India is. I mean, just Tom Bassam, our digital editor, wrote a, um, a sort of a preview of the, of, of the session. And um, there was quite an eye-popping stat, which was, uh, 85 to 95 of the 100 most watched broadcasts in India annually are live cricket, you know, which is gives you an idea of how popular the sport is. And the IPL, I think the linear broadcasts are watched by about 500 million people. So, um, you know, it's, it's quite, you know, mind, pop, mind popping stuff. And it gives you an idea as well with all the, it's kind of an amalgamation of different markets and the one, the one constant that unites them is cricket. It just shows yeah. the power it has. Yeah, yeah. yeah Let's not forget it, that see, India was hit the hardest with, you know, with the COVID situation, but having cricket, it makes them feel a lot closer and a lot connected. So, yes. Yeah, and I think to your point, Jenna, about that uh, that connection that people have with, with sport and with the, the content that they're watching, um, yeah. you know, when you have markets the size and, uh, and kind of diversity of India, uh, which the, it's not the only 
the only part of of, uh, of Asia is a, a continent that has that kind of uh, a breadth of audience and, and that scale of population. Yeah. Some of these engagement measures become important and will continue to be important uh, even after the pandemic has hopefully uh, in the not too distant yep. future has left us. Yeah, um, for sure. Jana, you were you were talking about fan engagement yourself in your session. What can you what can you tell us about your experience at, at Sports Project Pack today? Yeah, so today at Sports Pro APEC, I had a good uh, session with three amazing uh, sports leaders. You know, from the AFL, um, Borussia Dortmund, and also from Conviva themselves. Uh, it was a good session whereby, you know, uh, coming from different types of sports, you know, football, uh, Australian football, and also hearing from a, a streaming point of view how um, fan engagement, the disruption of digital uh, has disrupted uh, fan engagement and how it has actually helped us um, during the pandemic, you know, where uh, where, where are, we, we don't see matches, uh, we don't see, uh, we are not able to provide bite-sized content. So what else can we continue to, to, to keep our fans engaged? Um, you know, because uh, sports don't need to create advocates. We actually have a thing called fans and it comes in millions. So this is where, you know, this is where it's very important to constantly keep them connected. Though we don't have live matches, how do we constantly keep them uh, connected? And, and AFL did a very good, uh, uh, during the COVID period where they were actually, they actually did a partnership with, uh, Amazon and they did, uh, documentaries and, and such. Uh, where else, uh, Borussia Dortmund actually are doing, are starting their virtual tour this, uh, this coming week, uh, where they will be visiting nine different countries, you know, across uh, the US as well as uh, in Southeast Asia here as well. So I guess that's where the connection with fans uh, were constantly built, you know, the, the fact that people are still not allowed to travel, but they're able to do this virtual tour together with their favorite players. What's, um, what's some of the best practice for uh, organizations that are trying to, to, to engage with fans out of market in Asia. So, you know, Borussia Dortmund, obviously a European football club, uh, very popular in, in a number of Asian territories due to their yep. success and also due to uh, some of the players they've had down the years as well. Um, and then the AFL are in the APAC region, but, you know, trying to grow their presence outside of Australia. What's, um, what's some of the best yep. practices for digital engagement and for understanding how to interact uh, with local fans across the region? Something that was being shared was um, the fact that they are constantly keeping themselves up to date on the latest social platform where the audience would be. You know, apart from just um, doing uh, content like on Amazon, they are also, you know, um, venturing uh, TikTok, uh, Instagram Reels, you know, so those are the, the just to keep themselves constantly updated with the audience and what kind of platforms the, uh, the audience are constantly on and trying to you know give uh, uh, provide better content and 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 most of them actually mentioned that tiktok is becoming the new uh the new platform for people to seek sports content which i have to say that i it's true because i've seen myself and 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 what what we discussed was that you know one one celebration goal you can have a different version of it which is really amazing and and you see people still interacting it so yeah from a measurement perspective what well, particularly in that move to TikTok where it's a platform that's about uh, sharing as you say and building upon the previous person's content as much as it is about consumption um, what what are some yeah. of the measurements that you look out for at Mailman? Uh, to to judge how successful 
an organization is being and how much of an impact it's having uh, in a new market. I guess for us, it's constantly seeking for growth, uh, growth and engagement when we work on a campaign. You know, apart from, you know, PR angles and PR values that we try to add, uh, we definitely look at growth and engagement um, for the club, you know, and seeing how um, during a short period of campaign, you see a massive growth and, and, and massive, massive, huge following. I think that's part of, uh, that's considered success for us in terms of measuring a, a campaign or, or or, or even a, a simple graphic that is, yeah. Okay. Ed, any highlights for you from day one that you'd like to pick out? Yeah, if we're continuing the theme of, well, to continue the theme rather of, of fan engagement, I was on a session which uh, featured M MPAW, KO Sports, Rugby Pass, and they were talking about how, uh, how to keep fans interested through the use of, of data and technology. And I think the and what was quite pertinent was, you know, it's, it's important to remember that engagement for someone in their 50s is vastly different from, from a Gen Z audience. I mean, particularly in lockdown, we've seen that, you know, the younger audience has been gaming, watching video on demand, using social media e even more. Um, so OTT platforms, just using them as an example, they, they need to be able to create an experience that is actually relevant to them even more so, given what's, what's, what's gone on in the last 15 to 18 months. I, I mean, there are, there are a number of options out there, you know, integrations, things like that. Um, but ultimately, it all comes down to acquisition, you know, gathering data and, and, and knowing what to do with it. And I'm speaking a bit more broadly here, but, but, but if a fan doesn't want to engage with a team, team by going to a game, how do you, how do you respond to that? And, and I, think, I think what the session really brought to light was there's a, there is evidently an opportunity to really build out content ecosystems to, to keep fans engaged. Hello, I'm Matt Rogan. I've spent my career creating and scaling businesses in sports and entertainment. And now I'm talking to smart leaders inside and outside sport to get their ideas on managing change and building towards a better future. You can listen in on the Playbook podcast, a collection of candid, agenda-free conversations full of practical advice your company can work with. Get your new episodes right here on the Sports Pro feed and check out the rest of the series wherever you get your podcasts. Well, let's, uh, let's go back to the virtual stage. We have a clip from Craig Tiley, who's the Chief Executive of Tennis Australia. And uh, he has been leading us through some of, some of Tennis Australia's strategy uh, and some of its reactive uh, actions in the face of the COVID-19 pandemic. So many scenarios I could tell you where every day you woke up and there was uncertainty about what would happen. And then, and then you know, at the same time, trying to keep some consistency and continuity with the event. But one thing I think the learning on that was, you have a plan, you keep referring back to the plan, you know you've got a lot of unknowns and you know you've got a lot of uncertainty, you manage it as it comes in real time, uh, you'd be very transparent with your communication. Tell people if you're having a hard time. I did that publicly. This is difficult. Don't accept it's easy. We're having a hard time. Help us here. And I think that really helped bring the public and our team did a great job bringing the public back on side. And then the players did a magnificent job. They went out and focused on the tennis. Um, they were positive. They, they went through a tough 14 days of quarantine. And I would say that 98, there was a small percentage of the players that were not helpful. But 98%, which is the majority always going to, which is a big majority, were fantastic. This is the Sports Pro Podcast.
Jana, your colleague Andrew Collins asking the questions in that session. I understand you were able to to catch up with a fair bit of it. What were some of your takeaways uh, from Craig? Uh, I think it was to be very honest. I kind of when when I I managed to to be very very honest. I actually managed to watch a bit of it. And 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 uh, one question Andrew actually asked was, um, you know, during the pandemic, how they actually managed to survive that you know the fact that australia was in and out of lockdowns and such and and it's really amazing that um they actually proceeded to to you know continue with plan with the plan that they have already had and going back to what afl did you know it's pretty much almost similar because they're both in australia and they actually proceeded with um, you know plans because of the fact that they didn't want to uh lose out on you know I mean, if if you're just going to sit around and not do anything, then you're just going to lose out there. So, you know, you still have to continue and, and then you kind of strategize your, your way and, and, and con, con, uh, continue to, to keep everyone entertained, despite the fact that you can't have, um, you know, like you can't have real fans, you can't have real audience on, uh, on, on Spontinate itself. And the fact that there was a lot of shift, um, you know, from um, different locations and stuff. So, yeah. Ed. Um, I'm not sure if you managed to, to catch that session, but I, you do have uh, a couple more talking points that you wanted to expand on from the rest of the first day. Yeah, I think uh, there was a, a session uh, hosted by our very own managing director, Nick Meacham, with Twitch. And um, if we think esports is is getting bigger, sort of over in the US and Europe, it's nothing on in in Asia. I mean, China's the, the biggest esports market in the world by by fair distance. And particularly mobile as well and how prevalent that is in the region i mean just in india for example people there are far more likely to, ju to just own a mobile phone as rather than a console so titles like uh, i think it's called player unknowns battlegrounds on mobile that played a big role in bringing esports to the country india rather, rather than a console game and and in southeast asia yeah. i mean mobile gaming is is huge as well i think um uh, nick vansetti from uh, esl in a sports pro event last year he described southeast asia as the it was the the epicenter for mobile gaming. So, so while PC is is broadly considered the the lead platform for many titles, uh, particularly in Europe and and America, I mean particularly for League of Legends, which is the biggest of them all, smartphones are very much an entry point for new fans coming to esports. Yeah, and I think it, it comes back again to a point that that we've made several times already over the course of this podcast, but that I'm sure will have been made many times uh, today, which is understanding the importance of uh, of local factors whether that's local culture uh, connectivity and, and, and technology um, across the APAC region yeah absolutely um, and 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 they made the point there is there is no it would be very easy but there is no one-size-fits-all approach for the whole APAC market it particularly the growth of mobile it does it's very much on a on a country to country basis um, but another point I thought they made from that session which was interesting was um, uh, and it wasn't strictly limited to esports. Actually, it was how traditional sports leagues can use Twitch. Of course, whose roots began in gaming, they can how they can use it effectively. So, kind of merging the two, if you like, and having the, the best of both. So, a good example that was given in the session was when um, Twitch worked with the the Taiwan Baseball League. So they they stream games on Twitch, and that provided an opportunity to bring in co-streamers, uh, which in turn helped encourage more interactions around baseball in the country uh, and obviously that brought in a lot more younger younger fans so gamers they also had activations so having the opportunity to throw out the first pitch and it wasn't confirmed if that was digitally or not i'm not sure but um 
it's, it's little touches like that that um, esports and Twitch is able to do that uh, traditional sports can kind of tap into that can really help them stand out. So I think we'll be seeing a lot more of them going forward. Yeah, Jano, how, what are some of the examples that you'd be able to point to of, uh, of collaborations between sports and esports or engagement with esports fans or some of the trends in the esports space that have been particularly effective with, uh, with some of the people that you've worked with in the region? So to be very honest, I think a lot of uh, like esports is becoming like, you know, the, the new form of sports because people can't leave their home. So they basically are stuck at home and, and they, they pick up gaming, which is a good thing, which is a, a healthy thing. And, and we've seen how, um, you know, how competitive uh, FIFA, uh, FIFA is, for example, FIFA E in itself is a huge and massive thing here in APEC. And we've seen individuals as well as our team are uh, competing uh, healthily, which is a good thing. Uh, and, 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 and we've seen that um, not just from the younger generation, but I, but I guess people are in, the, in their 30s are also picking it up, which is, uh, you know, which is healthy because this is where, you know, you know that uh, it has helped uh, people to kind of shift from not just sports, but also to esports, and 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 this has become a new form of entertainment. And we've seen how um, on Facebook gaming or even on Twitter, uh, the conversation will increase and spike the moment you start using the hashtag gaming. Um, like during live streams, people are actually having real conversations on Twitter itself, uh, which is um, you know, and 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 people start streaming through uh, YouTube and and and, and Facebook. So yeah. So yeah, I, I really think it's a healthy move and, and, and I'm, I'm all in for esports, to be honest. And I've seen uh, great collaborations. Uh, Manny Pacquiao has, has done a good partnership with Montoon, you know, and, and I've seen um, even organizations um, like StatBots here in, Sing in Singapore, like the Tourism Board is actually working uh, with uh, an esports company uh, called, uh, where they're actually doing, if I'm not mistaken, it's Mobile Legend. It's a, it's a, it's a big thing, but you know, and, and to see big organization being, getting themselves involved, I think that is already a next step ahead. Yeah. On, on that point, um, I think, I think the impression I'm getting is that, uh, sports teams in particular that are, that are using Twitch, they barely, they're really just starting to scratch the surface at the moment in terms of functionality and, um, using that to interact with fans. So there is so much more that they can lean on in Twitch. So I think we're going to be seeing yeah. a lot more of that, definitely a lot more sort of intricate stuff. Yeah, I think so. And I think that the dynamics of, of community building in Twitch are, are really fascinating. Yeah. That something I think all of us are trying to understand a little bit more about and all of us are going to need to understand a lot more about over the next few years. Speaking of the different dynamics between communities, the different dynamics between uh, broadcast and media platforms, um, I spoke today to... Yochiro Basso, who is the SVP of subscriber growth at The Zone in Japan. Um, and one of the things that he talked about was that it's traditionally been a very free-to-air first market for premium rights and for, uh, for premium sport. And that is obviously something that The Zone are, are grappling with at the moment as they try and build a direct-to-consumer market there. The uh, Zone showing events like J-League football and... Uh, uh, and, and trying to build communities around that. Um, but I asked Yo towards the end of the session um, about the kind of demographic breakdown of subscriber targets and, uh, and how the audience in Japan 
is going to change differently from audiences around the world? Yeah, look, we we certainly have, um, we see a, relatively speaking, a younger demographic um, on our platform itself. Um, and uh, I think that's that's logical and probably expected, right, relative to terrestrial um, TV networks themselves. I'm oftentimes asked, uh, you know, do you, do you, do you see terrestrial TV networks as a primary competitor of yours? And the, the honest, the honest answer is really no, we don't. Um, we actually, um, we, we are very interested in partnering with like-minded content providers for the purpose of grow, ultimately growing the market itself. So we actually see, we don't see terrestrial TV networks as competitors. Um, we, we see us, the, the products and services that we bring into the market, I think naturally garner distinct uh, demographics. So uh, terrestrial TVs have, certainly have the scale, the size, um, as far as audiences. There is a relative, relative to other um, country markets itself. We have the oldest, uh, we have the greatest country in the world itself. So it's a much older demographic itself. Um, there are also sport affinities um, like pro baseball, MPP, um, is, is watched and followed and loved by a slightly older audience relative to J-League itself. So we see a lot of collaboration as well as um, a lot of opportunities to um, ultimately grow the market itself together um, versus in isolation of one another. Print, digital, events, podcasts, sports pro. Yeah, it was an interesting session. That one, uh, Yo gave a presentation, which I think would be insightful to understand, not just how DAZN does business and how DAZN is trying to drive subscribers, but also uh, just understanding the state of play if you're in uh, if you're in consumer marketing and uh, and if you're in the direct consumer business in, in digital broadcasting uh, or beyond that. Um, Ed, any anything you pick up either from that session or or from the rest of the day? Yeah, I mean, just from that session, just just from what I saw there. Uh, tying it into a conversation I had, um, again, not strictly limited to APAC, but uh, with Design's Joe Markovsky last month. Uh, we were talking about their, their rights, the rights, the deal they've done with Matram. And obviously not, that's not specifically for APAC, but he made quite an, uh, an interesting point about how, you know, we're, sport is past the tipping point of streaming, if you like, where it's not considered, it, it, you know, it, it is the norm. It's not, I don't think it was ever considered an aberration, but it was very much considered sort of, Set playing second fiddle to linear and, and and things like that. So, I think we're very much there. And and Dazon, they are making those 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 aggressive strides. And I think I'm looking forward to seeing how they how they sustain that model going forward. Because you know the, the more the more large rights acquisitions they make, they're going to their their price modeling, their subscription model is going to have to have to adapt accordingly. Yeah, and I think there were a few different things that came out of that session. One was the kind of balance between a global perspective, which Dazon now has with its uh, yeah. not just being active in a number of premium markets, but with this global streaming service that they launched towards the end of 2020. Um, but also in terms of behavior, in terms of personalization, I think tying us back to where we started with Sanjo Gupta, uh, you know, the fact that different parts of your audience are gonna want different things, that different people are gonna be accessing content increasingly on different devices. I think to your point, Ed, you know, streaming is no longer just another way to get linear coverage on a different device it's now has to be a different experience uh that serves a different yeah. set of needs yeah okay i think we are about running out of time for this 
day one Sports Pro Egg Pack podcast. Um, before we do go, I'll just get a, a highlight from each of you for day two. Is there anything that you're particularly looking forward to catching uh, on the, the, the closing day of Sports Pro Egg Pack 2021? Jana, I'll start with you. Sure. I am, um, honestly, I'm excited to watch, um, at, uh, you know, monetizing fan engagement in the digital era. They're navigating C and um, turning the tables, how uh, how WTT revolutionized the sport because uh, table tennis haven't been, uh, ha have been quite a, you know, haven't been really loud as compared to your, uh, to, to football and such in Southeast Asia. And and it's really interesting how, you know, it's evolving and, and, and we've seen the interest among the youth as well in Southeast Asia here. So, so I, I'm really looking forward for that actually. Yeah, and I think table tennis is a really interesting example of how digital media has kind of changed the dynamics a bit for very popular exactly. sports that maybe were not as suited as football in particular to the kind of uh, exactly. bundled B2B live rights uh, marketplace. Ed, anything from you? Yeah, there's a session towards the end of the day uh, looking at how Chelsea are winning on on social in China. I'm very much not a Chelsea fan by any means, but they are they are doing they're going great guns on social. I think they were the most engaged uh, Premier League club uh, on Twitter uh, during during last season, and they've they've done a number of content firsts in China, a number of of, of first of their kind social partnerships there, um, and they're they're clearly looking to sort of blaze a trail and really tap that the, the Chinese market on social. So it'd be interesting to see their methods and how those how they can be applied uh, across wider sport. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to catch up with that one. Our own Sam Carp at the helm uh, for that session. I'm going to be hearing a bit about uh, the delivery of the Tokyo 2020 broadcast product and uh, how cloud uh, cloud distribution and, and uh, cloud production are going to come to the fore, particularly with all the, the unique challenges, shall we say, of this particular Olympic Games. Um, we're also going to be hearing from the International Paralympic Committee. Andrew Parsons, the president, is going to be joining us. More from India, more from China, more on fan engagement and digital activity. It's going to be a fascinating second day. I hope you're all looking forward to it. Um, Facebook India as well. I think we, I'm going to be doing a Twitter spaces with uh, the moderator and Mish Patsarati. So that should be something to listen out for too. But we are at the end of our day one podcast and at the end of day one from Sports Pro APAC. Hope you've all enjoyed it and found it useful and insightful. Uh, thanks to Jana Jauha. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. Thanks as well to Ed Dixon. Cheers, Ed. Thanks to all of you for joining us. We'll be back with you again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Sports Pro Podcast is published by Sports Pro Media. The producer is Ed Dixon.